Thank you for calling Gaywire. Your call is very important to us. Press 1 for fourth wave feminism. Press 2 for a strangely in-depth discussion about where the worms have gone. Press 3 for... You have chosen option 3. Please stay on the line. Hello, and thank you for choosing option 3. You've reached Gaywire, where everything is at least a little bit queer. This is your silly goose of a host, Terrence Adams, and my pronouns are they, them. Sometimes he, him, but uh, they, them is what I truly vibe with, though a lot of people do find those pronouns difficult. I recommend, if you do find using those pronouns difficult, to check out some wonderful resources online, perhaps some YouTube videos, and I'm not going to give a specific suggestion, because there are so many resources at this point to tell you how to use gender-neutral pronouns, um, that I think I'm just going to leave the research up to y'all. But know that if you do have difficulty with things, there are lots of places to find information, so check that out. And thank you in advance for not misgendering. Gaywire is, of course, a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Amiskwichiwiskigan, colonially known as Edmonton, Alberta, on Treaty 6 territory and Region 4 of the Métis Nation of Alberta. Now, uh, this week, we will be continuing our conversation with Q Lawrence. This will be part two of the interview conducted last fall in regards to MAID, medically assisted death in Canada, Bill C-7, which has to do with MAID, and all of the... and all of the things that have to... that have to do with MAID and Bill C-7. So if you have not listened to that, please, please, please do check it out. Um, as this week, we're going to be going a little more in-depth and then also getting to know Q a little bit more. But before we get to that, um, Q Lawrence is raising money for a new wheelchair. Uh, if you listened last week, you know that Q is a dedicated activist, dedicated community worker, and a overall lovely person to talk to. It was damaged due to a police interaction and basically it's uh, it's on its last legs, so to speak. So, to donate some money, if you have an extra dollar or two, you can head on over to Gaywire's Instagram at GaywireCJSR and click the link in our bio to redirect it, to be redirected to the Q fundraiser. And if you would like to donate some food, the community fridge outside of the Earth's General Store on White Ave, um, across from the Mill Creek Cafe, you you can donate. You can do that. It's a wonderful example of mutual aid. They've been running for a while now, and they accept fresh vegan donations. So you can check out their Instagram at community.fridge.yeg for more information about their guidelines. Or you can just head on over. You can pop into the Earth's General Store, ask them. 
anyone can access it, and it's it's truly great, a wonderful example of mutual aid. And speaking of amazing, I know that I mentioned it last week, but I'm simply too excited about this, as we all should be. Pride Corner has been made official. Uh, the mayor of Edmonton did name the corner of White Ave and 104th Street as Pride Corner, the location of the counter-protests against homophobic creatures that have been going on for a hot second. These protests, of course, were started by Claire Pearson, and Pride Corner has grown into a wonderful, vibrant community gathering spot for queer and trans folks, particularly youth. So head on over some Friday, it is a party, and maybe I'll see you there. Um, I come sometimes. So head on over some Friday, see what's boppin', and if you're on White Ave on a Friday, and you're not too late in the evening, you might want to head on over to the quilt bag, because the quilt bag has trans tape. Now, not everyone may be familiar with trans tape, um, but trans tape is a body-safe tape that can be used in as an alternative to binding. And binding, of course, is the act of compressing your chest uh, to alleviate dysphoria or to masculinize or to masculinize your, your chest uh, through compression. So binders are like a little tank top thing that are really tight and somewhat breathable. Depends on what you get. But as the summer months come around, as anyone who binds can tell you, it gets a little more sweaty. So that's where trans tape comes in. It can be used as an alternative to binding, and though it is definitely not for everyone, you can head on over to the quilt bag to check that out instead of having to deal with ordering it online and dealing with the pesky shipping fees. So it's a little more economically accessible if you want to just try it out. So go to the quilt bag for trans tape and all other queer and trans wares that you can think of. They have lovely little felt art. They have pins, pronoun pins, other pins. They have keychains. They have stickers. They have cards. And lots and lots of zines, good vibes, and business cards of other local queer people. So it's a wonderful family-friendly community gathering. And speaking of family-friendly community gathering spots, um, St. Albert Pride is going to be happening on June 18th in Rotary Park, which is in St. Albert, uh, from 7 a.m., or from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. So head on over to St. Albert Pride if you would like to see some gay people. And some not gay people if you just want to see some people. So that'll be happening then. We have some other Pride events happening, which is refreshing. You know? Refreshing. So, first up, we've got a boppin' party in the form of Pride Fest. Pride Fest is on June 25th, and there will be a multitude of performers, musical, drag, perhaps some spoken word. I don't know, you'll have to check the lineup to know. 
go to edmontonpridefest.ca for more information and to purchase tickets. Again, that's for June 25th. And if you're looking for something a little different in terms of pride, Rarica Now is hosting a series of events. Starting on June 11th, there will be a Stonewall Queer Culture and Fashion Gala. And throughout the month, there will be a magazine launch and fundraiser on the 24th. And on the 25th of June, there will be the annual Stonewall March and Rally. So, packed month in terms of Pride events, something that Edmonton citizen, something that Edmonton has not seen for a few years. Something that I am very much a fan of. Alright, so, before we hear from Q, I want to just quickly remind y'all of the principles of disability justice, as those are the tenets and values that Q uses to inform much of their work and can really just help situate us in what's going on. So there are 10 principles of disability justice. To find out more about them, you can go to the Sins Invalid website, sinsinvalid.org, where a lot of work by Patty Byrne and Sins Invalid and other amazing activists have it. You can go to sinsinvalid.org, where a lot of work by Patty Byrne and Sins Invalid and again. And other amazing activists are. So, here are the principles. The first one is intersectionality. Because we're all made of different facets of being. We're not just gay. We're not just black. We're not just disabled. We could be all of those things. We could be none of those things. We could be a combination of those things. The second principle is the leadership of those most impacted because aren't, because So the second principle is leadership of those most impacted, because those who have suffered at the hands of systemic inequality the most are the ones who might have the most succinct and valuable solutions to these problems. The third principle is anti-capitalism, because capitalism defines bodies as useful or not useful, and disability justice disagrees with the commodification of bodies in general and the idea of something being lesser, someone being lesser, uh, because of their ability or inability to produce. The fourth principle is cross-movement solidarity, because if we're all just working individually for collective liberation, that doesn't exactly work. 
wholeness, recognizing that every person is a whole person made of bodies, minds, and experiences. Six is about sustainability, both in terms of like environmental sustainability, but also in terms of pacing. Are you able to keep up this pace for a long time, or are you going to burn out? If you burn out, is your work going to continue to help people? Or should you go at a little bit of a slower pace so that you can help more people for longer? Then principle seven is cross-disability solidarity, and this has to do with the fact that intellectually disabled folks uh, have historically been that... So cross-disability solidarity is sort of in in reference to a a, a hierarchy of disability, where proximity to quote-unquote normalness would make you a more quote-unquote valuable voice from the disabled community. Disability justice seeks to counter that by making sure that all disabilities are represented equally from intellectual to physical to uh, mental to ensure that everyone is properly represented. The next value principle is number eight, which is interdependence, because we are not individuals in the sense that we're self-sufficient. No one is truly self-sufficient, and it's not bad to rely on each other. We meet each other's needs, and we'll continue to do that. The ninth principle is collective access, and the tenth is collective liberation. Both very important collective access, of course, speaks to radical accessibility, and collective liberation speaks to the end goal. So those are the values informing a lot of Q's work, and so... Without further ado, let's hear part two from Q. But before I do have to give a quick content warning, we do speak on ableism, transphobia, homophobia, uh, and there's also some reclamation of slurs later on, and some mention of survival work. If any of those things are things that you find a little difficult to listen to, please take care of your body minds, first and foremost, but also... Please do listen to this, as it is important and relevant. So, without further ado, here's Q on CJSR 88.5 FM. Uh, My name is Q, and I use they or it pronouns. I'm in so-called Chilliwack in BC. Um, it's the land of the Chiquayuk and Palalt tribes of the Stolo Nation. I'm a performing artist. I do installation art. I'm also a disability educator um, and consultant. And I also run a free fridge, like a community fridge out here. Um, I'm part of the defund police organizing out here. Um, That goes hand in hand with like all kinds of abolition stuff that we're trying to get going. Um, And everything that I do is like 
very much based in disability organizing. Um, so my priorities are always access and like radical access, open access, um, as well as making sure that no one is left behind and that the people who are most affected by um, by any topic or, or area that is being organized around are the ones leading it. about disabled queers really like i want queer like non-disabled queer people people who don't have chronic illnesses invisible illnesses um mental illnesses neurodivergencies like there is such a broad definition of disability and people who aren't impacted by them at all or have not yet recognized the political nature of the ways that they are disabled they need <laughs> we need to care we need to you know, stretch ourselves a little bit uh, and maybe organize and and show up for each other. Um, that's my idea of like community is exactly that. You can't be in community with me and not realize that this is like life or death and that the life matters like that is important and it's important to me and it should be important to like the broad you of queer people. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's what I want. <laughs> yeah, um, and just to clarify, so in 2023, um, when it changes again, would that make it possible for someone to access made before accessing any sort of like mental health supports? Yeah. Um, so yes, and one of the safeguards that was removed from the made laws with this with this expansion, like the expansion that's in place right now, um, is that before doctors were not allowed to suggest made when they suggested other resources. Um, they still did for a lot of us. You know, I go in with a wheelchair and oxygen, and they're like, "Do you want to die?" I'm like, not right now, but they weren't supposed to uh, legally and with c7 in place they can and yeah the reason i mentioned that is because yes queer people everyone i mean the expansion means that you can access made before accessing other things and also say you're accessing a psychiatrist um for uh support and like medication and whatnot and you're like i need more resources what can i have so psychiatrist thinks that you might qualify for made they are allowed to suggest it at the same time that they suggest like other therapeutic support that's not acceptable <laughs> it's just not how how have um disabled folk and non-disabled folk have been taking care of each other uh since the expansion because obviously legally you're getting nothing yeah so you have to rely on yourselves yeah absolutely um 
we've been taking care of each other in much the same way that we always have because I keep repeating, but like even before doctors were allowed to suggest made, they did for a lot of us. They did for a lot of cognitively, intellectually disabled people in particular, because you know, their lives are are in particular considered not worth living. But they've also done so to like anyone who um, has incurable illnesses that, you know, change their mobility and stuff like that. So yeah, our, our way of taking care of each other has always been very much, I mean, I, I call one avenue the Queer Crip Shuffle, um, where we pass the same $5 around um, for, for months. You know, I can't make rent, someone help. And it just happens, you know, in succession. So there's, there's one tried and true avenue of the old PayPal link. Um, but we also have been developing things like legal resources of writing a document that says, if I'm in an emergency, I don't want to access made. This is signed and witnessed. Um, so that coercion is harder. And yeah, that has been a really major one that we've gotten. I've not been like directly involved in making that one happen, but I've been really pleased with and supportive of it because yeah, I, I have a similar document in my wallet now with my uh, medical alert card. They just go hand in hand. Gabrielle Peters is doing a little thing called uh, the Crip Care Closet. Um, and she kind of thought of it, like, I think the, like maybe when MADE was put in place or like not when MADE was put in place, but when the expansion was put in place, but maybe earlier than that. Um, but she runs a little like care closet out of her house just in terms of mailing disabled people who are in hospital um, care packages um, and like specific crip care packages. She includes a blanket in every single one because, you know, often when you're in the hospital as a disabled person, I mean, across the board, we are dehumanized and trans people can really speak to this. The dehumanization of trans people in hospitals is, I mean, as a trans disabled person, I would say they are very much the same. <laughs> it's the same thing across the board. It comes out in different ways, but that dehumanization is the same as disabled dehumanization. And so, yeah, like a blanket genuinely signals to like nurses and other healthcare workers that someone cares about this person, like someone's invested enough in this person that there's usually like a homemade blanket on their bed. That's like a small thing that's really important because yeah, if they recognize that someone cares about you, they're less likely to subject you to just really heinous medical neglect and again, coercion. So yeah, that's another thing that I'm actually really excited about because that's like the roots of my organizing has always been mutual aid and uh, radical care and care networks and all of this stuff. So I'm, I'm in love with the care closet. And other than that, like a lot of us have just been more outward with our general, like I'm here for folks approach to things, I think. Crip community, uh, capital M MAD 
community, like mentally ill, politicized community. We offer care on, on a wider level than, than your average person, I think, because we know how hard it is to receive. So yeah, pushing that outward has been, has been observed to a greater extent, we'll say. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, the, the expansion only came into effect in March and we're already seeing community members dying because of it. I was just saying that NAID only came into effect in March and we're already seeing community members accessing it um, and even community members who know that the wider expansion um, negatively impacts disabled people across the board, really, there's still like there's a resource that's offered where you don't have to go through whatever you're going through and suffering through. And I'm not speaking about these people's disabilities at all. These people have access to aid because in some cases they're in like long term care homes. And again, the quality of life is abominable or they just don't have enough money to live on is a recurring theme. Those are social things that can be addressed, but these people can't can't see the other side of it. And that's fair. Like, as you said, this is going to take a long time to fight now that it's in the law books. And the government isn't passing any other disability legislation with this kind of speed. Like, uh, this, this bill was passed irresponsibly quickly. And there's no other legislation for, you know, increased disability um income or better access to therapies like occupational rehab talk therapy none none of it is adequately funded or accessible um so yeah like i don't i don't really blame any single individual for accessing made or or seeing this as like their only avenue it's it's really on the government yeah and i i can't help but see a lot of it seems like made is very entrenched in late stage i don't really know what my question is here it's just how it's bad how do y'all keep going it's bad <laughs> yeah um yeah, no, it is, it is bad. And um, <laughs> your, your silence really is what most of us are, are left with. Like, I ended up getting involved in the disability filibuster that I've mentioned now, because I was like, I mean, Gabrielle, like asked me directly to use some of my um, resources in terms of crip connections to help. But I was like, I guess like, I can't be triggered by this anymore right now like as someone with intense medical trauma um i just have to like go full force like capital c crazy um as you know a very mentally ill person <laughs> um just have to like accept that i'm going to be triggered all the time and accept that like everyone who can fight this needs to fight it and that includes me um and Doing something about it feels a lot better. <laughs> like doing something about it makes the inexplicable, just awfulness of the whole situation not tolerable. 
not even close, but you know, at least you're not just sitting there thinking about it like speechless, you're organizing a Zoom call or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely on the late stage capitalism as well. Um, super intense on disabled people on all sides. Um, yeah. The, the commodification of the human body and the determination of worth based off of your production is, in my opinion, one of the worst uh, categorizations of humanity that's ever, ever happened. Oh, oh yeah, that's why you said the commodification of the human body. <laughs> like, I am, was a former survival sex worker. Now I'm like, if I need to do it, I know how to do it but you know a lot of us are like once a sex worker always a sex worker um in some in some ways and yeah the discourse around that of like you're selling your body i mean you, we all are to survive um the ways that sex workers quote unquote sell their bodies is just puritanically unacceptable and therefore unprotected by law that's it <laughs> that's the only thing yeah, that's yeah. The the only difference is absolutely the puritanical ideology that we have around sex and sex work and the human body, and it's yeah, it's so frustrating. All of it, yeah, so frustrating. Yeah. Um. So if you were to talk directly to the listeners right now, tell them whatever you want them to do. What what shall they do for you? What shall they do? I mean, it's <laughs> a lot of power. Um, <laughs> I'm not responsible, so I'm just going to stick to what they should do about this shit. <laughs> but um, I think people should all follow the Disability Filibuster Twitter if they're on Twitter, which is Disability Philly, F I L I 1. Um, so that's at Disability Philly One. And should also um, look at some of the footage. You know, you can click to like a random time in the archived videos on Disability Filibuster website. Um, and I almost guarantee that like you click on any time timestamp, there will be good information and or art coming at you it was a really fantastic artistic and political action if you see calls to action through the the uh or through the twitter or the website like respond to them and get involved and also like honestly <laughs> y'all should follow gabrielle peters on twitter if you're on twitter again she's at m s s i n e M-O-N-E. I don't know how to say her at, but I genuinely think that everyone's understanding of disability can be greatly expanded by looking at her content and it is centralized on Twitter. I would <laughs> I would tell, send you somewhere else, but that is the best place to get it. Um, she has taught me a lot about policy and politics. Um, and I've always been very much like a boots on the ground kind of person. So organizing during COVID when everything's online by necessity um, has been very different to me. Um, and yeah, she's just taught me a lot. Um, 
and she also regularly boosts like other disabled people so yeah if, if g is like this person's doing good disability politics like follow them <laughs> there's i'm just like i'm like i was asked for this interview and i was immediately like i want to talk about this because it's heavy on my mind all the time and also right now with some work being done but like my biggest thing is that i am still new to this organizing in particular to um like anti-maid organizing and i i want people to follow other people doing it already um you know i mentioned all those other names of like trudeau lemons catherine Fuzzy. there is sarah jama who's of the disability justice network of ontario which is fantastic and sarah jama's amazing um just so smart so brilliant so great um so yeah i, I want people to to you know pay attention to disability and to disability politics and you know want a broader sense apart from this whole made situation um is like get to know queer crips <laughs> like get to get to know queer crip politics and and how we are excluded from queer scenes how gay dances are inaccessible and um like all of these things if it's not created by queer disabled people and especially uh cutie bipoc um then disabled people can't access it so like look at that and like do that internal examination <laughs> of why um yeah that would be my my like Go do your homework. It's a pitch. Absolutely. <laughs> Read some theory. Yes. Capitalism and Disability by Marta Russell. It's dense, but if you can read Marx, you can read it because it's about Marx. <laughs> um, well, Q, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I know that this is a very heavy topic and very mentally exhausting to talk about at length. Um, so thank you very much for taking the time to enlighten our listeners. Um, and I do have one more question, but it's sort of personal, so we don't have to put this on. Um, but it's about your your pronouns, because um, mm -hmm. you use it pronouns, and those are highly contested within the community. So I was just wondering why you feel comfortable with them. Totally. Um, I... I don't mind this question at all. Um, and I, there is a lot of, you know, if you're, if you're non-consensually called any pronouns, like it's bad. Um, and it being given it pronouns without someone, like if those aren't your pronouns is obviously bad on top of the levels of like, it is dehumanizing um, and, and all of these things that are the typical arguments. I use it pronouns because of queer crip things, actually. Um, I am in a lot of medical settings. I'm at appointments a lot, and many of my appointments are at the hospital. I'm also semi-regularly in and out of the hospital to begin with. Um, and in those settings, I am by nature dehumanized. Um, and it's something that I'm like very <laughs> aware of for some odd, unknown, inexplicable reasons and I, I, who knows why one would be um but 
Yeah, so I am very acutely aware of the fact that, you know, doctors don't see me as a human, A, because of disability, and then B, because of queerness, and C, because of transition, and things like that. Like, it's facts. Um, and Lord knows, disabled people of color get it worse. Um, <laughs> like, it's just medically a fact. Um, but yeah, I'm very sensitive to it. And I'm actually like a very sensitive person. <laughs> I'm actually like, whether or not you believe in astrology or anything, I'm a Pisces <laughs> and I'm a Pisces. Oh <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite a sensitive person. And so like, I can't be sensitive when I'm at the hospital. Like it will do me medical damage to show doctors who don't um, understand or respect my like, lifestyle i'm also very tattooed for the record um, <laughs> um but yeah doctors that you know don't respect queer people don't respect disabled people don't consider us as having equal lives um i can't i can't be sensitive around them so um i started like really examining the key aspects of dehumanization in my experiences like what the acts against me were um and and all of these things and i realized that it had really distorted my perception of gender in a really huge way um like from childhood um so i like you know did the whole transgender examination that you have to do every once in a while for some of us <laughs> <laughs> and um, and realized that I don't feel kinship with they them pronouns on the basis of them being like humanizing pronouns. They're we we use them for people. We use them, you know. Sometimes I'll catch myself using it pronouns for a dog, and it'll feel weird and bad. And it's because I think of the dog as like an equal or like someone that I care about. I do that with a lot of animals. And, you know, most of us don't do that with inanimate objects. Um, we don't feel bad about calling a door an it. And yeah, in, in a lot of cases, like I feel more connected to it pronouns in that cis people will already look at me in a lot of cases in public. Um, I don't quote unquote pass in any proper direction, um, quote unquote proper as well. Um, and, and immediately dehumanized, I, and that's if, I, if I'm seen as having a gender at all. Um, because of being a wheelchair user and being on oxygen. That was a really rambly answer because of um, how complicated it is, but it really does come down to not feeling kinship with, um, you know, other people in a certain way, like I feel deeply connected to, to people that I care about, but I don't feel a kinship with the current structure of society. <laughs> I don't feel like I have a place in it. And I don't, uh, I, I, I don't want to care about cis people thinking that they are misgendering or dehumanizing me. I don't feel like an immediate bristle against them when they use those pronouns, um, because they are uncomfortable using those pronouns once I say that they are correct. Um, and yeah, it's just this like constant flipping of the script that I need to do in order to like stay safe mentally speaking. <laughs> yeah, it's 
it's a it's a whole gender it's a whole gender <laughs> yeah yeah it sounds a bit like reclaiming a sense of humanness through mm. a specific dehumanization yes that and, is yeah. great wording yeah yeah and i mean all of my identities are very much based on um reclamation um i mentioned I'm gonna I'm gonna drop some bad words. Um, <laughs> I'm usually not because I, I don't know various groups um, censor uh, and explicit thing. Um, but yeah, I recently said that I have been a survival sex worker. I call myself a whore. Like it's an identity that I hold is being a whore. Um, which is a specific slur against full service sex workers that sometimes is applied to people who don't do full service. My gender I name as Dykefeg, which is very controversial. Um, and that's okay. It's not intentionally controversial. Uh, it's just that that's genuinely like my gender insofar as I understand it, um, as a trans person with very obviously complicated <laughs> relationship to gender. And obviously, I call myself cripple. I use queer very freely. All these things. I try not to veer into slurs that I obviously do not have a right to, quote unquote. Um, there are people who disagree with my use of the word dyke and people who disagree with my use of the word fag. Um, that's okay, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm going to use them um yeah yeah all of my identities are very much based in reclamation of that dehumanization and that reclamation of humanity through that yeah yeah and this is again just a random question would you say that your tattoos are also helping with the reclamation yes um one thing i have a sticker poke from my friend jay that is my my dyke fag <laughs> um yeah but like yeah the rest of my tattoos are definitely um really important to like that reclamation piece of things um i got my hand tattoos and finger tattoos a lot sooner than most tattoo artists would ever give to a relatively not non-tattooed person i am more tattooed now than i was back when i got them especially my fingers um but they I said to the, the person who did my fingers, I was like, I'm like, I'm here in a wheelchair, I'm using my oxygen, like I'm disabled and I'm already like unemployable except in the circumstances where I make employment potential happen. Like I'm not going to be working front of house for a restaurant. <laughs> That's never gonna happen anyway. Uh, so I'm not worried about like, that aspect of things and these tattoos are like really important to me um my knuckles say dead rats um and i got them shortly after a close friend died i have a lot of tattoos for that friend um because they were so close and for that it was like working through immense grief on a personal and community level um they created uh, a bit of a movement and definitely a community um, and 
yeah, it was, it was very painful. And so that was like that aspect of things and other tattoos, some of them are, um, like I process my gender through them in, a, in an interesting way. Um, I have, um, a bicycle wheel on my shoulder blade that is, you know, my partner and I got not matching, but like complimenting tattoos um, and each has a line of our poetry in it. And it makes me feel connected to them in a way that I could not because of like mental illness stuff um, without that kind of like physical, like, oh yeah, no, this is important to me. And more than just like an intellectual level, like there's now like a bodily connection to the importance of this person. Um, and yeah, like those kinds of things are really key <laughs> for me in my life. Um, and I, I typically only get tattooed by either friends or tattoo artists that have been kind of recommended by friends. Um, a lot of my friends do stick in folks. So <laughs> there's a number of those, um, that are important on like, yeah, I really getting a stick and poke is, can be an intimate experience um, in, in quite a way. So yeah, trans stuff, grief stuff, crip stuff, it's all in there. <laughs> oh yeah, it's all oh, in there. Yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned the intimacy of a tattoo. Um, the, the intimacy between a tattoo artist and the person receiving a tattoo is a different genre of intimacy than I've ever encountered. It is immense and like, just, yeah, like it's different, like, especially because sometimes you've never met this person before. Like even if a tattoo artist has been recommended by a friend, there have been times where I've never met them before. Like uh, got a tattoo from June, uh, a junkie sock on Instagram and they tattooed me for like 10 hours. Um, in one go, we had never met before. Um, Afterwards, we went and got midnight kanji and bubble tea and talked about all kinds of things because we had just spent 10 hours together with all kinds of endorphins and hormones flowing. And it was like, we're connected. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, again, thank you so much for talking to me. Um, is there anything else that you would like to add that we didn't touch on that you'd like to? No, I don't think so. I think you've covered all of the things and I've talked about all that I can talk about. There are so many things that I want to mention, but I can't yet. Um, so yeah, um, I genuinely like it. It's especially when I get to like talk about the relationship with all the things. It's been great. <laughs> You just heard Q Lawrence speaking with myself, Terrence Adams, about Bill C-7 made disability justice, ableism, and wacky queer genders, and how queerness ties into disability justice and everything else aforementioned. We will be continuing on our conversation with Q next week, although they might sound a little different. It is um, very exciting to 
have our first reoccurring guest. So I talked to Q in the fall, and I also talked to Q about a month ago. So we will be hearing this updated interview about what where their work has gone, what work is currently being done, and a more updated call to action for anyone inclined to be called to action. So... Thank you so very much, Q, for speaking to me for as long as you have. And please tune in next week, listeners, same time, same place, that being Thursdays at 6pm MST on CJSR 88.5 FM on Treaty 6 and Region 4 of the Métis Nation of Alberta, of course. Or, of course, you can catch us anytime on your favorite podcasting platform by searching for Gaywire CJSR. Please also donate to both the Disability Filibuster and Q's Wheelchair Fundraiser. Links in the link tree in our Instagram bio, which is, of course, at GaywireCJSR. If you're unable to donate, or if you are able to donate, regardless of what you do, you should register with the Disability Filibuster, watch the archive videos, and share Q's link. We can all do our part, whatever that looks like. Today's show was produced by Jao Victor Krieger, Ash Linda, Artemis Peasley, and myself, Terrence Adams. Gaywire is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Amiskwichiwiskigan, colonially known as Edmonton, land which has been the home and traveling ground of many, including but not limited to Blackfoot, Anishinaabe, Nakota Sioux, Soto, Dene, Cree, and Métis people. All of us at Gaywire encourage you to think critically about the structures of power we reside within, your role in and around it, and what you can do to challenge the damaging legacies and mechanisms of colonialism in your day-to-day. Reconciliation is not a one-time thing, it's an ongoing practice. Please, please, please check out some amazing Indigenous folks that we've interviewed to learn more about decolonization, traditional tattooing, and what it means to be Two-Spirit by checking out the interviews with Gabe Calderon and Ashley Cardinal. Please tune in next week to hear more Prairie Queer content, and until then, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. You can find us online at gaywire.transistor.fm and on Facebook or Twitter at gaywire and at gaywirecjsr on Instagram. Let us know what you think of the show, hit up the DMs sometime, or if you'd rather be fancy, you can also email gaywire at cjsr.com and you never know, you just might get to be a part of the show. Our artwork is by Travis Erickson and original music by Doug Hoyer and Catherine Hiltz. Until next week, keep it breezy. Please stay on the line.